0: Hello and welcome back to the Security Conversations podcast. Super excited about my guest this week. Charles Watu is an engineering manager at Netflix, working on one of the most enviable security programs in Silicon Valley. Welcome to the show, Charles. How are you?
1: Thank you so much, Ryan, for having me. I'm doing pretty well.
0: What does an engineering manager at Netflix do? Can you kind of take a step back and describe your role there?
1: Yeah. um, So... The role that I play in, I have the privilege of leading out a team called STAR. And what does that mean? It's, it stands for the Security, Technology, Assurance, and Risk Team. The role that I play is helping um, the business make uh, better informed decisions around risk by using forms of risk quantification. Uh, we use the FAIR framework. Uh, the FAIR is our factor analysis of information risk. We also look to tie in our controls and compliance work through a unified control framework to help our partners understand uh, security investments and how they buy down those risks. And then lastly, we were investing in like uh, analytics and information to better measure the work that we do and how that maps into our controls and ultimately our risk. Uh, so for me, on a day-to-day basis, I'm Going to meetings to understand the, the context that's needed for my team, to sort of help put them in positions to be successful, and then ultimately support our partners in terms of making the decisions to address the security uh, controls, security challenges that we face in the Netflix ecosystem.
0: So I'm not going to lie to you. Whenever I hear the words information security, governance, compliance, risk measurement, assurance, like that stuff makes my eyes bleed and my ears burn. I have to imagine there's gotta be some fun associated with this eye bleeding kind of monotony of the of of compliance and assurance and that world. Like, help me understand why this is perhaps a sexy area that should be interesting for other folks.
1: Well, you know, for me, I'm my past is from a detection and response background. I'm not natively in the compliance space, but what I have come to recognize through my journey here, Netflix, and also my experiences at Stitch Fix, is that Having an ability to understand how security and security investments relate to the business and the business risk impact is important to talk about outside of security practitioners. Um, I, I think the beauty of the governance, the compliance is not necessarily for security practitioners, it's actually for everyone else around you. And how do you take something like information security and um, present it to a wide range of individuals from different backgrounds, different security experiences, different technology experiences, ranging from executives all the way down to um, individual contributors across a creative world, non-creative world. So to me, like the the glamour or the sexiness, as you put it, Ryan, is the idea of How do you build the bridge of risk measurement, of control obligations, um, things that are very can be seen as rigid and predictable? How do you how do you add that bounce of flavor to make it exciting and attractive? And I think some of that work is how we talk about it, Um, the approaches that we're using on Netflix to figure that stuff out is I think what makes me excited to learn this skill uh, because I do believe it's a transferable skill, especially in the security domain as we're looking to mature, how we talk about risk, and how do we talk about the investments we make and the impact to the overall business.
0: I'm, I'm fascinated by the use of the word, uh, be creative there, because uh, you you your own career has been really fascinating to me. You went into government service out of university. Just from my talking to other folks on this podcast, the, the world of cybersecurity in government and the world of, doing security in a company in Silicon Valley where you're you know moving fast and breaking things and being creative around is completely different worlds talk through that transition of the very rigid compliance structure of doing security in in, in say a government networks or in that environment versus uh, in the startup world
1: sure um like you mentioned like i got my experience in security um through uh, disa the defense information systems agency um, I had the opportunity to visit various combatant commands, um, mainly specializing in the European theater um, and the strategic command out in Omaha, Nebraska. And as you were mentioning the rigidness, you know we had structure, we had policies for every little thing. And in terms of how we would configure a product, there was detailed instructions. How you would deploy a product, there was detailed instructions. And warning orders, and I would almost say like the stick and the carrot approach. Um, and that environment was very strict, rigid in terms of the principles. Highly regulated, right? <laughs> Highly regulated, especially for the data we were protecting and also the individuals that we were supporting with that data um, in terms of w- um, how that data impacted their ability to make decisions. So, definitely in an environment that needed that level of. Uh, regulation and controls and a clear guidance around how to operate in, within those spaces.
0: Is there any room for creativity there in that environment or is it just you're just following the check marks as they come along?
1: I look back now and, and, and thinking about my experience there, I'm not sure at that time, but I hope as the you know, emergence of cloud technologies and just the emergence of SaaS products that there is an opportunity to do things differently. I know there are you know, compliance programs like FedRAMP that you know, help with that, but even from talking with some of my peers in this space, it's still highly regimented and regulated um, areas. But I, I hope that in the future that there are opportunities to look at controls and compliance from a creative way to address risks that make sense for that particular business to actually implement and perform.
0: Yeah, and you've talked about this before. You mentioned this DISA scholarship program that got you into, um, kind of got you into the field and got your feet wet there. It, one of the things you mentioned was someone at DISA actually recommended that you go out and kind of spread your wings, learn about how it operates in the private sector, go out and figure out things and then bring it back to us later on in your career. That's kind of like a a model. Is that something that that was like, did you leave there and head out to Silicon Valley deliberately as part of that kind of guidance?
1: Part of it like was deliberate. Um, My manager at the time stated that, hey, you're young in your career and while we would love to keep you It is in our best interest that you go out and learn what industry is doing so that hopefully in one point in time in your career, you have the opportunity to bring those lessons back, those experiences into um, public service and come back and and potentially have a different type of government experience.
0: So this is something your managers there encourage you to go out and do?
1: Yes, my particular manager encouraged me because he noticed that I was going to hit a ceiling in terms of the impact and capability that I was going to have at my current level. And then part of that experience is going to get that industry experience. And he just flat out told me, look, Charles, you should go. Like, it's to your benefit to go and figure out what else is out there. And once that happened, my mind was like, okay, well, let me make a little transition. I think at the time I went to McAfee. But then I really started thinking, well, where do all the players play? And Silicon Valley is is where the the playground's at. So I said, okay, if that's the playground, I got to go play the games over there so I can understand it. And that led to my transition coming out here uh, to work at LinkedIn with Corey Scott and help build out some of the detection and response capabilities at that time. Uh, So definitely was intentional.
0: What was the hardest part of moving across, two things, what was the hardest part of moving across the country and landing in the chaos that is Silicon Valley? And again, like we just described, the opposite of federal government work. And what was the easiest part of it for you?
1: I would say the the easiest part was just being there. Like, uh, because I, my, in, innate nature is just to be a people person I love connecting and talking with people and building relationships and connecting people so on my like my first conversation with with Corey because he was a person that actually interviewed me end to end I just said this is the opportunity I would love to have to be able to you know, expand my reach and understand my scope and the challenging areas that sort of came up to me was like okay once you start going into a Bay Area company and the, you mentioned before Ryan you know move fast break things, and you start seeing like, oh, my gosh, like everyone has admin access. Uh, no, the idea of endpoint security is a different, different philosophy out here.
0: Yeah, and the so definitions are different, like completely it, yeah. different world, right?
1: Correct. And so I, I struggled in terms of, well, how do I take what I learned from the DoD and how do I make it applicable here where it's not user friction driven? Or it's like, how do I forget?
0: How do I unlearn? (laughs) More importantly, how do I unlearn that stuff? Right?
1: Yeah. Like I said, it's a combination of like, you take the best of breed and you try to figure out like, what's your persona that you want to demonstrate around the learnings you had in this uh, DOD space? What you can learn from being out here in Silicon Valley? And how do you mesh that together for yourself?
0: And LinkedIn was a proper proper place for you to land there and understand the like like the, the complications and implications of privacy engineering and some user data and protecting uh, customer data. You also did stints at Twilio and Stitch Fix. So you you've had your kind of feel of the 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 startup world there before landing at Netflix. And Netflix is one of those information security programs that is kind of the the envy of the valley. You guys are you guys are the haves, the one percenters who. You know, can 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 buy any tool or hire anyone to to fix any gaps there. Let me let me linger there for a second. Is, is there such a thing as affordable security for the average business?
1: I would say, from my experience, yes. Like a, a, affordable, using the air quotes, is, is, definitely has a, a connotation that it's it has subjective. to be cheap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it, it doesn't have to be cheap. If and, and I think this is the reason why I'm enjoying the whole compliance and risk work. Um, Affordable could really mean that we're very targeted in terms of addressing the security risk for the business. Like we, we we recognize we may have other risks, but our risk appetite for this particular item is above the rest. So to me, an affordable approach could just be we're going to target this particular area and 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 ensure our investments to drive down that particular risk or hold that risk to a level of comfort. So like when you bring out like affordable, I think it's, I related back to, well, how do you talk and understand risk within your information security program? And then second, how do you communicate and then get alignment around that risk with um, your partners and also different parts of the business to include your executive leadership? Because uh, affordability is, is, like you said, subjective, right. uh, but if it's very targeted in terms of what you're trying to do. And you have the data that backs up. Or at least lays out the foundation of what you are attempting to address. There's a level of connection that that happens to people that are outside of that space, where they can make that connection and understand what you're trying to do.
0: Right, but it depends on on, on measuring this in in a, in a realistic practical way because the, the, the current way we are measuring risk is based on some compliance checkbox that are so outdated you just mentioned everybody's moving to the cloud uh, uh, digital transformation a lot of the command you and you're in this world a lot more than me and, and like i mentioned very early up front this world kind of bores me um, I, I know it's important foundational like the most important thing a program can do but you gotta it, it's hard to get excited about compliance when it's just these check boxes that are Outdated, and do you do you feel that we're getting to a place where we're measuring better beyond the the old traditional models of of measuring?
1: This risk. Well, well first I gotta say, compliance is, is hot. It is the <laughs> hotness out there. I know people may talk about red teaming and application security, you know, and you no know, compliance is where it's at, right? Yeah, compliance is where it's at. Let me. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna be here to let everybody know. Um And I think the reason why that, as you mentioned, I I don't subscribe to the checkbox compliance approach. So how are you measuring
0: then? Or how should we think about measuring beyond the old traditional ways?
1: Well, and I I was actually talking about this with a candidate the other day. And I think what's interesting here from my experience, I think there's actually an education problem. Um, I think auditors may have unique, they may have consistent experiences with firms or organizations for which they audit and therefore may have some level of predictability or or expectation that I receive my evidence in a particular way. And I think as part of the role that I'm trying to build out here at Netflix is how do we look at our controls in a way that fit our need, but also can translate to auditors and not just address the um, spirit of a control but we meet the intent as if it's our environment and i think part of that actually goes back to as you talked about before the terms and the words that are used within this space um, i can get an example of recently is like when we talked about an audit internally like i could see people's reactions on Zoom, on the, on our google meets like their bodies <laughs> change like like it's, it's just the kind I of I get a rash when i word. hear that word <laughs> exactly so how how do how do you sort of change the branding and image of compliance risk assessment, where it's not to audit what you're not doing. In fact, it's to highlight the things that you are doing and call out the areas where we think there's more investments needed. So it really is to showcase the things that we are doing well, not necessarily like, oh, we're going to like, gotcha. It's not about a gotcha. It really is a partnership to to call out the work that's being done well across the different business units and how it's driving down risk, or holding risk, or uh, improving the business relationship.
0: Does your area of the security program uh, uh, rely on tools more than people? Is it a combination of the two? Like where, 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 what's, where is where? Where are the gaps uh, for a program there?
1: I would say, like the talking to a uh, here uh, of mine is AJ, uh, who has a cool product around like compliance and automation in the cloud. I think there's a combination of tooling that needs to be improved, um, whether it's to do help with the automation and evidence collection flow. I think there's people in terms of, as I mentioned before, like the education aspect of understanding the spirit and intent of a control and a control outcome. And then ultimately, how does it all work together is the process in terms of how it's how we stitch those components together. Um, I actually think there's deficiencies across all those three areas. Part of what I'm trying to figure out is, you know, finding folks that really want to challenge the status quo. And a side of me is like, you know, I I want to talk to auditors and really understand like, okay, so what are you really asking me? And why are you really asking me this question? Is a screenshot sufficient of my access control? Or do you want to understand why we have uh, procedures and policies and tooling in place that just make this happen. So like I'm trying to like f- like talk to auditors and get their perspective because I want to know. Like I want to help build and provide the engineering requirements to my partners to build the right things that make their lives easier, makes my job easier from a compliance and regulatory standpoint. And then share that information out to auditors where they're like, okay, I get this. I understand why they went down this approach.
0: Yeah, you know, one of the things I'm also hearing from you is like a, a big challenge that a lot of CISOs and, and, and people building security programs have is how do I make security not the bad guy who is constantly saying no, and see security is kind of not not just a, a not just a, a, a value of protecting the company's data and assets, but as an enabler of the actual business. If we prove to our, if we if we prove to ourselves and our customers that security really is on the front burner here, then it enables. Revenue it enables uh, expansion of the business. How do you, as the as the compliance guy, avoid being the guy always saying, "No, I heard Flea on the podcast from Gusto, and he always talks about making security lovable and making sure that security gets out of the way." And I imagine in your world, you're the guy who is who's getting in the way. Is that
1: fair? No. I don't get okay. it in the way. My goal is not to get in the way. That's the reason why I think I sort of stress. How
0: not do you personally, but no, I'm talking I I, about your yeah. compliance, like yeah. like your peers in the compliance
1: world. Yeah, I'm, I'm reflecting from my peers here. Uh, <laughs> got it, got it. I can at least say from the experience we're building and looking to lean into here is one where if I don't focus on like the outcome of what a compliance program provides, like, okay, we got to be PCI compliant or ISO 27001, whatever the case may be. But if I help communicate about the controls and provide the requirements where people can solve these problems creatively, I think it it allows, it allows our engineering partners to be inclusive in that conversation. It brings them to the table where it's versus the edict of saying, Thou shalt go do it this particular control requirement. I'm really trying to, to test the idea of, Hey, this is the theme of what we're looking at. Let's say access control. What are some ways that we can do access control? That's different from what the check is now in terms of like a screenshot showing a group member membership in and out. Is there data that we can run or reports that we can show that demonstrates our. Coverage in our process in terms of how we do access control management. Like I'm just trying to challenge the status quo versus standing in the lane of predictability. And and I know that can be maybe um, taboo position to take because with audit sometimes being exotic and different causes more challenges. But if we don't try to change some of that perspective, how do we improve the process? How do we actually apply compliance and controls that impact security versus the the notion? Of checking the check box.
0: Are there? Are there? When you think of innovation, technology innovation in your world, in your compliance uh, world, what excites you, or do you? Are you seeing the types of venture capital investments here? What are you most excited
1: about? To be quite honest, I'm not sure because I know there's products being built in the SaaS space to help with cloud automation and like the SOC two assessments of a type. But I also, I, I'm on the. I just learned the other day about something called OSCAL. It's like, I think, an interpretive language or YAML language I can use to talk about your governance and controls as code concepts. And I'm just trying to find more people that are doing that type of work because it interests me to understand, like, well, how do you enumerate that into a policy and how do you take that policy and apply it to your systems? How do you create endpoints that allow developers to say, hey, I'm building a service that may touch upon this type of data what are the controls that we have in our control library that I can apply? And I think it goes back to one of the points you made about earlier where security is a no. Well, if you think of security as an enabler and you build services that people can opt into and they understand the benefits of opting into that service and the inherent controls that you get, the benefits that you get, I, I do believe that uh, engineers, developers, developers, um, individual contributors will make the appropriate decision around controls and compliance that's best for your business.
0: Help some of your help some of the younger folks now trying to get into security understand a pathway in. Yours was unique, and and, and there's a, there are a few of you guys who have made the kind of government service federal work. Uh, to the private sector and that's kind of like a, a path. There, there are there are other paths. If you were if, if you would go back in time and you didn't have this scholarship, how knowing what you know now and with your expansion in your network help someone your age coming in now understand how they can break in where they can start like what are some of the pathways?
1: I always call like security the big umbrella. There are so many um, disciplines under the tent under the umbrella of security i, I personally still like the massive buttons.
0: umbrella too right and this <laughs> umbrella just keeps getting bigger and bigger and that's that's a good thing too because oh, what yeah. it does what it does it 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 helps to break down like all this gatekeeping about who belongs and who's technically enough and all that nonsense and it helps it helps bring new fresh thinking and eyeballs to our space
1: okay i'm not sure it'll be controversial or not but I still think there's challenges there in terms of bringing the new eyeballs and new perspectives into the industry. And I think it's a combination of where, you know, we're trying to, you know, they always say there's a cybersecurity workforce shortage. Um, okay. That's great. But if we know that there are students going into this field and they're graduating, the, you know, the thousand dollar question is, well, how do I get that first experience? And I think for me personally, what benefited myself was that within the detection and response, incident response community, it's highly operational. And I learned so much about an organization through the incidents they were having, and which is one of the reasons why, like when I tell, like from my experience, um I, I sort of guide people. You like, tell hey, the
0: kids go into the sock and go get into your the, feet wet.
1: Yeah. I, I, in, in fact, I, some of my best candidates that I've worked with came through the help desk route and then went into IR. Um, are you worried about
0: losing them to just the monotony and the grind of that thankless work?
1: It, so, yes, that, which is the reason why I say it's like a stepping stone, because you get to see potentially if your SOC is set up this way, your incident response is set up this way. Um, incidents coming from the AppSec side. Potentially physical security, potentially endpoint. Like you get to see the culmination of all the different um, functions of security, and then that can also expose you. Okay, like this is an area where I'm interested in. How do I make that transition?
0: How do I specialize and turn that into my lane? Right, like there's Correct. a lot of that that can emerge out of that SOC experience.
1: Correct. That that I I just personally found that rewarding as I look back because I I call uh detection and response like the octopus, like it's the central, but the it's engine, the engine
0: that, the engine that hums yeah. below all of cyber. Exactly. Right?
1: Exactly. So I, I, for one, I'm a big advocate for the incident response, the operational component. Yes, it, it can be a thankless job, but the people that I've met in that space um, have uh, an uncanny ability to sort of understand the customer service element, understand the technical element, give some guidance in terms of like the architecture element. So I I just think they're just, well-rounded folks when it comes no, to security. I,
0: I like that, but I think that giving them the caveat that it's 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 eye-bleeding work <laughs> that is not very rewarding, and you need to time-box it and figure out a lane to get out of it as soon as yes. possible, and find your lane. I think going in knowing that is important, and going in thinking that uh, I've landed in cyber when this is kind of like the armpit of cyber. I don't know.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I hear you on that. It's a like I said, it's the platform to step up, which is why I still find challenges, uh, challenging areas with regards to how do we get people into the different lanes of security, whether it's the AppSec side, product security, infrastructure.
0: I like that. Do you think, they, where do you stand on certifications? Do you think they are, because they're, they're, people are divided on whether it's a waste of time and companies should stop requiring them for jobs or, hey, you can't hurt to go improve your skills and get your CISSP or OSCP or whatever the, the latest certification is. Do you think the kids should go chase those?
1: It's hard for me to say yes or no on this one because I think certificates are maybe used by different demographics for different reasons. Do you guys and require
0: I- them? Like when you're hiring, are you looking, is, is a resume with a bunch of certifications get to the top of the pile?
1: I mean, from my personal experiences, I that's not what I look at. Like they, okay. they help, I mean, they're part of the security journey for some individuals, but I don't discredit those who have versus those who have not. Once again, as I said earlier, I I like to understand the individual. I look at the problems, the problem solving capabilities that they have, uh, capabilities that they have, understand how they frame problems, how they deconstruct problems, how they understand trade offs around problems um, more so than anything else. For some people going through. uh, security trainings and getting certifications may allow them to do that. Some people may demonstrate that security training is not for them. Just as saying, do you need to go to a four-year institution? There are some people that just, hey, I learned this all myself. Great. And there are some people that went to academia uh, to learn uh, information security programming and the likes. So I think it's... Th- right,
0: but if there's so much nuance, right? Like why are why are so many vendors requiring it? Or, or why are so many like modern mature security programs requiring it when...
1: Oh, I... that. Like, I don't know. I I think for me, it should just be like, if it's there, it's there. If it's not, it's not, it's, it's not the end of the person. I'm not trying to look at them as, oh, how many certificates do you have? Does that make you better or worse? No. Um, my, my job as a hiring manager is to understand how an individual thinks, how they approach a problem. And if those certificates, toolings, education experiences help in that, perfect. If not, you know, the, the interview process will, will shake itself out and, and and that will you know come to pass. But right. I think for me personally, it's just in my experiences, I try to focus on the candidate.
0: Yeah, but a lot of these candidates, and then this is why I bring it up and I'm lingering on it in the podcast. <laughs> a, a lot, no, a lot of my audience, you know, not necessarily juniors, but folks trying to figure this out, try, really, really trying to figure this out because on one side of the coin, uh, you know, they want to break into Google or get a job at Facebook. And then those are requirements. You need a university degree, you need to have your CISSP, if you want to get into pen testing, you need to have this. And at the same time, you're you're saying no, just get in and get your feet wet. It's 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 tough on the kids trying to understand. And there's so many too, like just trying to figure out, should I go figure out Kubernetes or the cloud or what is a container? Everything just becomes so segmented and Yes, and, and, and silos everywhere that I feel like kids coming into our industry today, they're at, they're at an advantage because at least they're coming out to the university degree and they have basic concepts down. But it's pretty difficult to make a commitment to things because of how, and I blame, when I say you guys, I mean, I'm talking about Silicon Valley in general of setup.
1: Which, which is why I'm a big advocate of the SOC operation experience and incident response and the detection response component. Uh, because you get to at least have exposure into those realms, um, to help you sort of decide the pathway of where you would want to spend more of your time. but it's That's- easier
0: to get in there too. And-
1: yes. From my experience, yes, I would say that also. But, but going back to what you said before, like, how do we challenge that to say, is that the right approach? Is that the only way to get into security? While I say no to that, um, I do have colleagues and friends who reach out. So, well, how do we, how do we diversify and in- have uh, an inclusion if, If we're having trouble getting people into the pipeline, supposedly, and then giving people the opportunity to excel and do their best.
0: What's next for you? You mentioned as part of this uh, scholarship, they sent you off to go go, go figure things out and then come back and help us. Is that, is that a a natural progression for your career or do you see yourself taking another path? Is there like an entrepreneurial uh, uh, approach here?
1: Well, I can firmly say that right now that there's no entrepreneurial path for me. (laughs) Uh, That, that, Does not excite me as much. I would say these are the things that really excite me um, currently and what I'm looking for in the future. Like, I really want to figure out this risk quantification and compliance space. Like, it's a skill set that I think will benefit me as I look for future, like, head of security sizzle type jobs. I I think it's something that I I recognize um, during my experience at Stitch Fix being a head of security that it would have been great to have more experience in that space. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate getting some of that experience here at Netflix. Uh, So those are the things that excite me. And I also love uh, hyper growth companies who are just starting out building security programs. I understand that they burn me out. But I just love the fact that every day is something different when you're the first security person. Like, there's the intellectual something about,
0: challenge is just fun yeah, and in- it's, it's, intoxicating. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It, yeah, that that for some reason, like, it attracts me. But I know that it, it like after maybe two years, it will burn me out uh, just because the sheer amount of work potentially that goes into establishing a program from scratch and, and working with a culture to get that uh, built in. And then uh, at so the end
0: of it great. all, you go back and be the CISO for the federal government.
1: <laughs> I, I do look forward to making that transition back to the, the civil service. I, I ultimately loved my time at the civil service and everything that um, it provided me. It provided me my foundation and security. It, it allowed me to address and interact with people like the way I do out here in the Bay Area. It really set the foundation for what my... Um, career has been so I am very thankful to the civil service I-, I loved it I miss it almost every day sometimes
0: Charles thank you so much for coming on the podcast I really enjoyed this conversation and especially the part about uh, recommending kids go get their feet in the socks I th- I don't think kids hear that often and also my own kind of my own kind of disdain for that kind of monotonous work uh, I think you've helped open my mind a little bit to uh, understanding why there's a lot of value uh, there for newcomers. So I appreciate that. Thanks for coming on the show. I, 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 I really enjoyed it. And more importantly, the invitation is wide open. Whenever you feel like you want to say something, come on back.
1: Oh, Ryan, I definitely appreciate it. Thanks for Jason, for putting us together. And I really enjoyed the conversation and thank you once again, take it easy.